really good picture of like what FGA can do when we're all of us like pitching. And it was actually so good to see um, not just all of our ministries uh, come together, but also our community come together. So we had a bunch of our neighbors from the Melbourne Cheer Academy, the different dance groups, and uh, all come in and work on this project. And I, I, um, the guys just finished um, doing this video. I want to do a big thank you to Sean and his whole team of people um, that, that worked on this. But, wow, you know, like, there is a great potential for us to make not just um, an impact where we are, but to hit the community uh, with um, real connections, I think. Um, And we're on that way. We're on that way to that. Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you for today. Uh, I pray, Lord, for this message as we close up the book of Romans and uh, as we look at this amazing doxology. I pray, Lord, that you would um, guide my words, that your Holy Spirit would fill this place, that uh, through the different topics and some of the difficult topics that we're covering today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be um, the one who speaks and not just me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, Uh, today uh, we're going to look at the battle for glory. And here's a a good starting point. Um, Let's keep it pretty simple. Today we're going to try and keep it very real if we could. Um, So here's here's a thought, here's a big idea to kick off. We do better when we think people are watching. Uh, I happen to have come from sort of my secular training um, and my studies have kind of led me through behavioral economics and a range of different kinds of things, uh, economics of strategy and a whole bunch of stuff. And people have done a lot, a lot of research into behavior. It turns out we're very predictable as a collective group. Of people individually, less so. But um, there are a whole range of studies that have gone on that uh, you, you know, like, do you cheat when you play Monopoly and nobody's looking? You know, uh, there have been a whole bunch of studies where um, they they ask people um, to sort of solve maths questions or do some tasks, and then they have to report on how much time they they took to to complete it, right? And, and there's some cases where cheating is not allowed because the clock times you and they watch you and then you have to report the time. And, you know, if people are watching you and there's a clock, then you're very likely to not lie. You will write down your actual result. But then in other instances when uh, you just do the test yourself, you write out your own score and time and you just submit it in and, and maybe there's a reward at the end, right? Oh my goodness, a lot of people lied. Uh, because, and they know this because people were actually watching. It's just the person doing it didn't know that they were being watched. Now, I want you to think about that, about our lives today, because obviously we're, we're living more and more private lives, right? It used to be that you would grow up in a village or whatever, and everybody would know. Everything about you, your mother, your father, your grandfather, what you're going to, like, oh my goodness, right? We now, in today's world, um, 
have so many, many private things. Correct? But I want to put it to you that we do better when we think people are watching. In fact, there was this recent study that was done, Harvard Business School, and um, it wasn't even that anybody needed to be watching. You only needed to think that people were watching. In fact, they went one step further, and in the test that there was no sort of check and balance on it, they asked, can you name the Ten Commandments? List all the Ten Commandments that you can um, list. Now, a whole bunch of these people, not Christians, don't know the Ten Commandments, right? And some of them could answer it, some of them couldn't, right? But what was amazing was just by having that question in there, the, um, the number of honest answers increased by 33%. That means just by people trying to recall, like, the, and they may not even be Christian, but just thinking, oh my goodness, there are some moral code out there, it just jogged their memory sufficient enough to go, oh, you know what, I, I better not cheat. In this. Anyway, it's just an experiment. Because I think broadly, most of us want to do what's right. It's just that there's so many areas, and if we're very honest about uh, areas of our life, we just um, think nobody's looking. It doesn't really matter. My ethics are not at stake. That's why a lot of research has gone into actually uh, toilet signs. Because people want to do the right thing in the toilet, right? Um, it's just that maybe you forget. And so you, you see these signs that like, please wash your hands before you're like, please flush, please, right? You know, they've been proven to be very successful. There's so many studies that sign there, no sign there. Because we actually do better when there is a reminder or when we think that our private actions, the things that we do that nobody kind of says, when we think somebody is watching or when it jogs our uh, memory. So I just want you to kind of just keep that in mind as I uh, go through today's sermon, which will, I think, go 10 minutes uh, over again. All right? So all of our lives, we're wrapping up the book of um, we're wrapping up the book of Romans, and again, our anchor verse for this whole year is Romans 12, 1 to 2, um, and it goes like this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And, and you can read uh, through this, but all of our lives are supposed to be a living sacrifice. We are supposed to be a walking testimony to God. All right, last week we, I uh, taught that the church is supposed to display or reflect God's glory. Um, I don't know if you've noticed the different series that we've had um, uh, sort of uh, through the year. Uh, but um, 
we began with Transformed, then we uh, went to the Gospel Basics, we looked at Infallible and why all Scripture is God-breathed, we looked at the patterns of the world and how we are different from world patterns, we looked at our life as a living sacrifice in our worship series, we looked at how we can appropriate the armor of God uh, as we live out our lives, um, we looked at how do we then, the ending chapters of Romans, how do we love like Jesus, the practical application um, of the things that are written in the first 12 chapters of uh, Romans. We looked at how then it can affect emissions. And we looked, I, I really liked it because it was missions, my reality. So we had, uh, you know, like Deborah come up and give a testimony. We had our own missionary, uh, Nelson, share. Uh, we had Pastor Roland come up and speak about how we are supposed to live out emissions. And now we're closing it up uh, in Romans 16 with the doxology of all glory goes to God. Here's, here's a summary, all right? So you can go back through our app and you can jump online to see all our previous sermons. But here's a summary of Romans. I want to summarize it because we've been doing the book of Romans. And actually, the FGA app, which is available on the app store, has a daily, a weekly devotional. A weekly devotion. And you can click on for more and see all the previous ones that have been on. But every week, we've been putting out a devotional so that you, by the end of the year, would have gone through the book of Romans. But here's the summary. In case you, you know, privately didn't do it. Okay. One, how bad sin is. So Romans begins with... Hey, sin is really bad and all have fallen short and the wrath of God comes against sin and the wages of sin is death. And sin, not good for you, is the general gist, okay? Then it goes, God is a good master, but God is gracious and, 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 um, and God is a better leader than any of the other things that you might choose to lead you. So then we hit the center of it, which is Romans 12. So don't, please give your life to God and don't follow the pattern of this world. And then after that, it goes into real outward action. Because the first 12 was like the theology piece. And then we go into how do you then love like Jesus? It, it begins with let your love be genuine. Remember, we covered that. And, and then it ends, it culminates with, so that God gets the glory. Okay? So all of the beginning of Romans through to the end, the, the ending part of a book is very crucial. You have to ask the question, why does the book of Romans end with all glory going to God? Let's read this doxology. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. There are these three accordings. So according to my gospel, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept long ages that has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been known to all nations. The third according, according to the command of the eternal God. So that hints that... Um, the eternal God can command His people. We are, we, we are not the rulers of the world, by the way. Yeah, we are created beings subject to a commander, I think. Uh, to bring about the obedience of faith 
to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Romans 16, 25, 27. You know, I wanted to actually have um, an audio clip of Hal Oxley, uh, who turns this month 100. Uh, he spoke at our uh, denominational meeting, and he said, churches... Well, one, his beginning thing was about buildings and how everybody's saying to him that buildings are not cool, but buildings are really crucial, right? And I wanted to show that. Anyway, he went on for 15 minutes, so I, I don't know. Anyway, um, but he, towards the end of his message, he said, churches need to get back to the gospel basics. And you know what he defined as the basics of our faith? He said, the obedience to the obedience to the Word of God. Oh my goodness. I have a lot of pastor friends and a lot of senior pastor friends. And if you gave them one sentence to describe our faith, they would not say obedience to the Word of God. They would say something now. It's very hip and cool to say something ethereal and theological and philosophical. Something like, oh, God's grace is now open to all. Oh, believe in Jesus. Right? How, from his generation, Christianity meant you live that out. Like, to him, that was the basics of Christianity. The, the obedience of faith. Anyway, so that's the end. Strengthen you. Why does it begin with strengthen you? You see, we need strength. This, this part, it begins, now to him who's able to strengthen you, right? So you got all the way to the end, now to him who's able to strengthen you. It's supposed to be there because we are meant to be a living sacrifice, a walking testimony. That's why we need God's strength. I don't know if you can do it in your own strength. I don't think it's possible. So Romans ends with, allow God, allow God to strengthen you in this. Last week, I deliberately chose to talk about um, suffering and weakness to show that God can be glorified in all circumstances that we find ourselves in. Right? So we looked at Job. You know, Gloria a Dios is that, is that Spanish cry. Glory to God. It can be cried out by anyone, not just the people who get straight A's and high-paying jobs and, and look like a movie star or whatever. In fact, last week, we saw Job give glory to God in the midst of his suffering. That means all of us. That's why I'm ending today the book of Romans because I think all of us in all walks of life, however, whatever family you come from, whatever state your life is in at the moment, it is possible for you to take your current life and go, and nevertheless, I will worship God. Nevertheless, glory will go to God. Or because of this, glory to God. It's possible whether it's good or bad in all circumstances for glory to point to God. Let's look at Job. In fact, you might think no one is looking at Job. But actually, a lot of people were looking at Job and how he responded in his suffering. You might think that you're suffering and nobody cares. Nobody's looking. You're being watched. God is watching you. We see from the book of Job, God's watching him. Satan's watching. Satan's hoping Job responds badly. His, his, his wife's watching. His friends, his best friends are watching. And would you believe it, us here in Australia, 
you know, thousands of years later, we're watching how Job responded, okay? So it's possible for us, even in the most private of circumstances, even in whatever situation, to still point glory to God. That's why I got that. So that today, I didn't want to go straight into a glory to God message, and in the back of your mind, you're just thinking, I'm can't give God glory. You don't know the life I've lived. You can. There are some changes in your orientation that need to happen though. Okay, so now um, for the tricky part in the sermon. So please pay attention very carefully. Uh, Depending on your history and depending on your life journey, you may react differently to what I'm going to be saying. So uh, if this sounds really bad to you, just like stay all the way to the end. Uh, My goal as a pastor is actually your best interest. I have your best interest at heart because my goal is that God gets glorified through you. Your best interest is that you attach yourself to the only wise God and you give Him the glory that is due because He's the only one who actually deserves glory. So let's see how we can move through that. You have to understand that across time and history, the church goes through seasons, okay? Seasons. And so different things get implemented in our lives, in our real-world lives, and then maybe it works, maybe it started off well and was good, but then over time, it corrupts a little bit, changes a little bit. And then after a while, there comes a generation that forgot why they did it in the first place, right? And then it just, just over time, things ebb and flow. And so I'm trying to address us today in what I feel is today's generation. That When I say today's generation, it's everyone who's alive today. Whatever generation you're from, you're alive today. So we're going to try and do this. I'm going to give you a quick summary history of what has gone on. Uh, oh, sorry. So last week, um, uh, yeah. So though you, uh, one Peter one eight to nine. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you uh, do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, salvation of souls. I love that passage. I didn't read it last week, but I love it for Job, um, who even uh, or us, even though we don't see God now, we're able um, to believe and rejoice in him, and we can be filled with glory. Okay, one. Let's begin here. So if you're writing this down, one, historically, the church was meant to be visible. The church itself was visible, all right? Um, And let's talk like physical, visible things like building. There was the tabernacle, all right? So the Israelites come out and and they build a tent, a moving tent. There was a tabernacle. There was the temple that Solomon built, right? Right? And uh, oh my goodness, they put really good things in there because the church, the building, I'm going to talk about the building church was actually visible and um, people looked to that, all right? In fact, there were the early churches and the synagogues, even after Jesus' time, there were all these churches that were popping up all over the place as the gospel Expanded. In fact, you'll find that building went hand in hand with the gospel expanding. In fact, what would happen across Europe is that the church, in all these small villages and country towns, as well, would deliberately 
externally put, make the church, the, the villages were bandied together because God was such an important part of their life and they wanted to give glory to God. This is the original intent, right? Um, they would build the tallest building so that you could see the cross. So that if you were wandering and you needed refuge. See, back in those days, um, not only were people putting their best into the church itself outwardly, they were inwardly displaying their very best. Because the church would be this place where strangers could come. The orphans would, you could, you, people would put their unwanted children in front of the church. You, you, uh, you know, we, I'm a big fan of Les Mis. You know, you got Jean Valjean who goes in there and he gets shown um, grace. You have all of these examples of the early church. One of the reasons why it grew was it became a place of good news. But I would argue the two went hand in hand. So the people would put a lot of resources into churches externally and internally. It was a major part of their life. Um, and the, and the internal intent was to give glory to God and the external intent was to give glory to God. Then, it turns out, outward became easier than inward. I'm just giving you like a little bit of history lesson. It turned out it was easier to build amazing, grand-looking, spectacular, mind-blowing churches. And inwardly just like, you know, do whatever you want. It turned out, and this happened both with Solomon's temple and church in our history that you can read. Okay? Um, it was just... Uh, people, maybe they thought, oh, you know what? Let's invest in the building because it's going to be there longer than I am. It's going to outlast me. And just as a side thought, who lasts longer, the building or you? And before you answer, the correct answer is you. The correct answer is you because that building does not live for eternity and have eternal life. So just think really carefully because we went through, as, a Christ, as Christianity, we went through seasons where we thought outward was the thing to do. I mean, just, just think about it. And I, like, I'm just going to keep it really real. So if I've offended anybody, you know, just uh, I apologize right now. Okay? But just do some maths, okay? If you could, let's say, you know, we're trying to raise, I don't know, 500000 a year for right? That's 200 working people. Okay. If you could just give $2,500 to the church for the next few years, just $2,500, and be done with it. That's it. That's all that was ever required. And then you would be in right standing with God, and everything would be good, and you'd be, your walk with God would be, oh my goodness. I tell you, a lot of people would take that up. You know why? It's 2005. It's cheap compared to everything else that living sacrifice means. I'm not, I'm not trying to belittle 2005, but oh my goodness, you know, it's like living sacrifice 2005. And so there was a season in Christianity where people would pay money. Kings, lords would pay money to be in good standing, right? And they would build up these places because outward became easier than inward. And so they just went in that direction. And then let's, so, so then, this was bad. Like, consequences were terrible. 
right? There were so many people who were just corrupt, and then the, they were conquering places, and it was just not good. And so now we live on this side of the gospel, we live on this side of the world where the focus shifts to the inner life. Correct? Right? Most of you would have grown up in a church, if it was FGA especially, that would talk about God looks at your inside heart. Oh my goodness, don't come around and like uh, talk big, but your inside life is far from God. Right? That's why Pastor Roland um, has this amazing book out that talks about your own personal uh, devotion life. And there was this focus even through the, um, into the inner. But I feel like maybe there's been too much of a move into the inner. And, and there's a lot of people now saying that God only looks at the inner. But did you know that the Bible has equal parts outside action? And inside change. Equal. You just can't pick the parts of the Bible you like. Romans itself has that split. That's why the second half of Romans is all about what you do with living with neighbors, living with government, and how you, it, it's got all of that in there. So as we've focused into the inner, um, people have asked these questions, which I think rightly so. They've asked these questions. Do you need to come to church every weekend? No. Of course you don't need to come to church every weekend. Your salvation is dependent on your belief with God, your own inner faith with God. So let's not be legalistic. You don't need to come to church every weekend. Sabbath, hmm. Do you need to tithe? Oh, well, you know what? Actually, you could still possibly go to heaven without tithing. And we can quote heaps of verses. We get all that, like... Is tithing? No, no, you don't. We're, as long as inside you're cheerful, do you need to wake up and read the Bible and pray every day or at least every week? Do, do you need to do that? Well, no, no, you don't need to do that. Because if you go one day without reading the Bible, God's not going to condemn you to hell, right? Okay, so, so we've then focused in on this. You don't even need to go and confess to a priest. You don't need to confess. You can... You can just confess yourself. You can do these things yourself because the focus has now shifted to the inner life. Which I think has then led us to this place. It's a bad place. Of no outward and no inward difference. <laughs> Where previously the church had at least an outward difference. And inward, uh, whatever, right? But now, oh, church is going, church is optional. Ah, oh, reading the Bible, oh, optional, oh, optional, optional, right? And then inwardly as well, it has shifted. Because no one can see the inward. So if I say I pray but I don't. If I'm going to say I pray and I'm going to pray for you, but I don't, you don't know that. Right? And I think nobody's watching, so I just behave however I behave. Like, I just tell people, I like to pray, I pray, pray for you, I pray for you. I've actually tried to implement over the last few years, every time I say I pray for somebody, I try and pray for them, right? That is very, very hard to do. I have a to -do, my staff know this, I have a to-do li to list that has 35 Prayer, 
items in there that I wake up in the morning and I pray through. But some people, they don't even have a list. I don't know how they do it. <laughs> to be honest, I don't know whether actual prayer goes on because I myself cannot pull that off without reading through a list of prayer requests that come up. So I think if the outward slips away, we have the t- potential to slip into this category of, well, nobody's keeping our inward life very accountable. Nobody, the inward can kind of slide and no one watch, nobody is paying attention. So, so, so we think that no one is watching, right? Because, you know, presumably, Pastor Roland, if he doesn't see you here on Sunday, just thinks your inner walk is very good. Something must be going on and you couldn't make it to church on Sunday. That's, Pastor Roland thinks the best of you, right? So, <laughs> all right. But the thing is, everyone who is important is watching. That's the problem. Our loved ones are watching. The people who know us best at home, they, they're watching. Everyone who's important is watching. God is watching, all right? Our enemy is watching. The enemy knows if you're outward nothing, inward nothing, and then that's a weak time, time, you know. That's why it says now, um, may God strengthen you. Okay, you know, and I think the other person that's watching is ourselves. We are watching, and we're reaping the the results of it. Even though we think nobody's watching, it doesn't really matter, and this or not. It's affecting us. You know, I went through this experiment uh, when I was doing my MBA at Melbourne Business School many, many, many years ago. I never thought about it at all, actually, until just recently it came back uh, to me. But we played this game where um, there was four of us, and we would put ten. So if you're an economist, this is the argument for the public good, all right? But um, each of us had $10, like our real $10. Yeah, and we were uh, instructed to, we could put all of our $10 into a kitty, secretly, into a kitty. And then at the end of the game, whatever was in the kitty would double, and we would divide amongst the four of us, and we'd get it back. So if I put $10 in, right, I would get $20 back. But the thing is, nobody knew if anybody put in or not. So, the first time we played the game, let's call this guy Chris, didn't put $10 in. Everybody put $10 in. All right? So, I keep my $10. Then they divide up the $30 that is left there, right? Then that doubles to be $60. And then everybody gets the And everybody gets money. And I get my $10. Plus, I get extra money from everyone. I'm like, oh my goodness, I've got the most money now. And everybody's wondering, wait a minute, the maths doesn't work out. Somebody didn't put, some, somebody didn't. We're, we're meant to have gotten $80 or somebody, right? So then my instructor, my lecturer plays the game again. But now, since we're playing the game again, everybody's figured out. Somebody didn't put in their 10 and they just get it. So now, they only put $4 in. Because they keep, the, they keep the six for themselves. Just see how this plays out. So again, this guy called Chris doesn't put anything in. 
oh my goodness, I come out ahead, more ahead than everybody again. The third time we played this game, nobody puts anything in. <laughs> nobody puts anything in. So now, all of us are worse off. All of us. Every single one of us. Because when nobody was looking, we thought nobody was looking. No, 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 right? We thought, ah, oh, yeah, I'm just going to win for myself. And that's the classical argument for public good, right? Um, but it just reminded me of that. Why, why am I talking about this? Because actually the common decisions that we make together, the, the, when we are together, we actually make each other better. We are. So if your home group members notice that you're not at home group and they call you up there, it actually is good for you because it encourages you to stay in relationship and accountability and fellowship. If your dad walks down and goes, hey, how's your quiet time going? That's actually good for you because it encourages you to stay. To go, oh my goodness, my dad's going to come down and ask me how's my quiet time. So I better go and do some quiet time and then I go into some quiet time. And maybe God speaks into your life and it has some internal transformation. Why am I talking like this? Why, why are we going? Because we are, a house of, we are a household of faith. And actually I think all of us, myself included, we all need to take a good look at our lives. Next year, we move into Box Hill, all right? I, I know personally, and I know many people in here, we have put not just money, we've put time and energy into the development of this church that is going to go to be built for the glory of God. But not just the outside needs to look good, the inside needs to be working. In fact, I think outward and inward help each other out. So, will the public notice the outward facilities of our church? You better believe it. You better believe that if we put our absolute best on the outward, that it's going to be a resource and a help and a blessing to the whole community. Right? So, yeah, the outward, definitely. Will the community eventually meet us and be our friends and encounter what kind of people we are, you better believe it. That inwardly as well, we're going to be on show. So we're going to enter into, the reason why this is the close of our series is because I think we're going to enter into an era where we can't be hidden. Like, we can't just like, oh, we're meeting at Kingswood. There's no sign outside. Nobody knows who we're at. Like, we can do whatever. And people, newcomer can come into service. And, and you know, and newcomers are always on time. <laughs> oh, the first people are always the first person, you know. And then and, and everybody thinks, oh, it's okay. No one's looking. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter what happens. But I'm trying to remind all of us that there is a battle for glory. And how we end up living our lives outwardly and inwardly actually makes a big difference. James tries to tackle this. And there's so many verses in the Bible that try and tackle this. But it, it, they talk about this concept between faith and works. Inner faith, which is very important. But outside works, the living out of it. 
And James goes, you know, like, if you say you've got faith without works, then I'll show you my faith by my works. They, they are linked. The outside things we do actually help us grow our faith. Then our faith, which then grows, then leads into outward things we do. As a cycle, if we, if we place all the emphasis on one and not the other, it actually falls down and it spirals to the no outward, no inward. Very quick. Very quick. Um, so let me answer this one question as we close. Because this whole thing if, is premised on giving glory to God, right? That's the point of the doxology, the point of the book of Romans. Uh, because God is such a good master that he's worthy of that glory. Why is giving glory to God important? You could be sitting here going, all right, I get that. But why should we even give glory to God? Why don't I just give glory to myself? Why don't we just glorify other things that are worth glorying? And I think the answer is embedded into the doxology. At the end, it says, to the only. That means this God stands alone. There is none like him. The only wise God. He's actually the only one who deserves glory. Trying to give it to anyone or anything else besides the only one who deserves glory is like betting on the wrong horse on Melbourne Cup Day. I don't know. You know, I, I've never betted. So it's, I, I, but it's like saying... I'm going to give all of my glory, my human, even if it's to yourself, I want to put it to you, you're the wrong horse. You're not that great. You are not worthy of all glory. Surely, I mean, your ego can't be that big, right? <laughs> you think you're worthy of all, like, all glory is meant to, there's only one wise God. Now, I, I get that this sounds very arrogant. I get it. But the world that we live in is not formed by opinions, right? Like the sun comes up in the morning. It doesn't come up because everybody believes the sun is going to come up. Actually, it doesn't matter what you believe. If you jump off of a building, you're going to hit the floor. If the, you're, the sun is going to come up, whether you believe it, right? So either God is the only wise God or he's not the only wise God, all right? And so we happen to believe that there is only one Wise God, but our belief doesn't make that occur. It already is there. Now, I've got to caution us because this statement sounds really arrogant. But do you know that Jesus Christ himself believed this? That Jesus Christ, when he was here on earth, he believed there was only one wise God. Only one God. Wisdom means you, you know it all. You know how everything's connected. You understand not just knowledge. You know how to apply the knowledge and everything, right? Jesus believed that. And look at the life he lived. Did he, did Jesus Christ, with that knowledge, first-hand knowledge of seeing God, did he live an arrogant life where he went around telling people, oh, you're so terrible, look at me, I'm so awesome, and you need to do this, you know. Oh my goodness, the only people he scolded were the hypocrites who were pretending like they were so holy. Our belief that God is meant to get all glory, our belief that there is only one wise God is actually supposed to make us more humble. I, I don't even I get that. It's supposed to say, 
hey, I'm going to change my inward life. I'm going to live my life. My outward life is going to change. I'm going to live. And then people will see God's glory through me. I'm going to live. I know I can't force people to change things, their view and whatever. But if they see a live testimony, if I'm a living sacrifice, if God can strengthen me, then I can help other people recognize what I know to be the truth. That sin is a terrible master. That the wages of it are bad. That only God deserves the glory. That all this other time, if, if you could save somebody all their time and effort and money into the wrong thing, wouldn't you do that? What we as Christians try to do is we try to do that by first addressing our own lives. By first living that out. If you still disagree with me that only God deserves the glory, I want you to ask this question. Why is it that we live in such a developed nation and such a glorious time where we have access to technology, information, we've got choices, options, our kids have choices and options, the milk, there are five different choices of milk, they're like, we have so many opportunities and things available now. This is a glorious time that we live in. Yet, we're in a country with one of the highest suicide rates and rising depression. Why is that? I think it's because people need the Lord. People don't need more devices. People don't need more knowledge. People don't need more adventurous exciting trips. Like, people don't need nicer pictures on their latte. Like, they might like it, but they don't need these things. At our core, people need the Lord the way me and you need the Lord, the way we have seen God change and transform the really icky things in our life and turn that around. And so that's why I'm really excited about us Moving to Box Hill, FGA, having our place, our outward place. But the two have to go together so that outwardly we give glory to God, inwardly we give glory to God, and all glory goes to God. Do you get that? Okay, so I'm going to lead us. If you want to pray with me, I want to do something outward, but that's okay. If you want to pray that FGA, both our building and the people in the church, which is the church, outwardly and inwardly, we want to give glory to God. We want to be this testimony, a, a, a light to the Box Hill neighborhood that we're moving into. If you want to pray with me, can I invite you to stand? And we're going to pray together. Okay, because FGA, we're at the brink. I think we're at the cusp of a turning point. Um, can we show the picture from Friday where we were all together, uh, we had about 100 of us um, of all generations in that warehouse. And we were th three days fasting and praying. I think inwardly and outwardly, 
we're trying to get ourselves ready for the transformation that is going to occur there. Let's pray. Father, as a church, we stand before you. Our lives are a living sacrifice to you. Not just words that we say, but actions that we will live out. God, I pray for the outward building that we are building. I pray, Lord God, that you would enable the very best of our resources to be put towards that. May, help us to make wise decisions, to put resources where they need to be, but to, to let some things go which are not essential. I pray for our inward lives, that we would put our very best into crafting our inward lives that we would take care about our prayer life and our walk with you and how we treat our family and our neighbors and our colleagues and, and the things that when people are not watching, that we would craft that carefully as if someone was watching because we know you are watching, Lord God. We know our loved ones are watching. We know the neighborhood's watching. We know our friends are watching. We know this city is watching. So God, God, we ask that you would strengthen us. We need your strength as we shout with one voice. May you get all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Okay, so we'll see you guys.